Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, uplifting support for your grief and healing journey. We are here to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence so that you can build a life of purpose and joy. I'm your host, Julie Clough. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 87, Recovered with Todd Sylvester. Well, as you can expect, I'm going to give you the weekly book report and the news is awesome. Pre-orders are now available on Amazon. So you can go to Amazon. You can look it up by my name, Julie Clough. You can look it up by the title, which is Miracles in the Darkness, Building a Life After Loss. All you have to put in is Miracles in the Darkness. And you'll see the book cover with the lighthouse. And that is the book. And it's available for pre-order. And the cool thing about Amazon is you go in and pre-order. It doesn't actually charge you until it ships. So if I read everything correctly, I believe that's how it works. <laughs> also, I wanted to let you know that we just finished the June workshop last week. It was amazing. And I'm looking forward already to our July workshop, which our workshop includes handouts. We do the work together and we have unbelievable deals on that. So go to bit.ly slash B-L-A-L July with a capital J. And case it is case sensitive. So be care, be careful that you put all that in lowercase except for the J in July. All these links, the link to the book pre-order, the link to the workshop that's coming up, the, uh, the special code that will get you into the workshop. If you, if you register right away, do that right away. It's only $7 right now. It's regular 27. So huge savings if you do that right away. So go to the show notes, click on the link, put in the, special code and you can get that as well as you can go in and pre-order the book. I'm so excited about the book coming out. I go into so much more detail of my, my journey and all the, I, you know, I touch on a lot of different losses. Of course, most of the book is about the loss of my children, which was so impactful in my life and, and how I was able to rebuild and, and let go of that pain so that I could move forward with, with, with love, with gratitude, with hope for the future, which is what I hope that we share with you each week here. This week, I have this special interview for you. Todd and I worked hard to try to find a time. I, I actually had been on his podcast before. He has a, a podcast called Belief Cast. He is a, a addiction recovery counselor. And he, I'm going to tell you a little more about him right now. Actually, let me just read what I have here. Todd currently serves as a mentor and personal development coach for those looking to get more out of life. And he also works at what he calls the best university on the planet, Wasatch Recovery Treatment Center as a belief system counselor. Todd is an author of the popular ebook, It's Time to Start Living, available on Amazon. He also wrote another book, that came out, I can't remember if it was later, if it was last year or earlier this year, called Recovered. And I read that. It was fantastic. He also produces a popular podcast on iTunes that he calls a belief cast. Todd's story was also featured in best-selling author Simon Sinek's new book, Find Your Why. And today, Todd uses his first-hand fight against addiction to give hope to thousands of teenagers, young adults, parents, and connects with them 
on an authentic level. Be sure to listen to the end. Here's the interview. Good morning. This is Julie, and I am on the line with Todd Sylvester. Super excited to have Todd on today. We have been trying to do this for a little while and get our schedules coordinated and super excited that it's happening. Hey, Todd. Hey, hi, Julie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Todd does a a podcast also, and I'm going to have him share a little bit of his story so we can jump right in. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And I'm, I'm excited to share my story with uh, you and your listeners. And, and, um, I, I'm, I think that, uh, my story will relate with a lot of your listeners and I'm just excited for this opportunity, Julie. Um, we really appreciate you being here and, and, and our, you know, the podcast is all about loss and rebuilding. And some people may not view your story as a loss story, but it certainly is. Yeah, I, definitely a lot of loss. But, uh, you know, I, I, I always believe that life happens for you. And I'm grateful that I went through it because I get to do what I do now. And to be an influence on some level to a certain amount of people. And it's just been, you know, I, I wouldn't change a thing been such an amazing ride. So um, would you like me to just start kind of from the beginning and, and just... Absolutely. Hey. Yeah. Well, so I, I grew up in a very loving home. Um, both my parents uh, were really good at telling me that they loved me. Um, they made that very clear. Um, but in, in our family, though, we didn't talk much about, you know, kind of some of the tough things in life about, you know, drugs and alcohol or sex or... You know, we weren't a re- religious family. We didn't, you know, talk about religion. So there was no religious background growing up. Um, but again, like I said, my parents were really good about making it clear that they loved me. And so that was good. Sports was a big part of my life growing up. And I played every sport, basketball, ba- uh, baseball, football, and soccer. And, but I, you know, in eight, in about seventh and eighth grade, I learned that I had this all or nothing mentality and I decided I was going to quit every sport or at least practicing every sport and just focus on basketball. Basketball was my love and I had dreams of getting a college scholarship. And, you know, when you're that age or, you know, you have dreams of playing in the NBA and, you know, and I just would, I was just really passionate about it. And I learned, you know, at that age that this is what I wanted to do. And so I started uh, practicing basketball, you know, two to three hours every single day. My dad poured a basketball court on the side of our house and, and, you know, we had a cement slab there that I could, you know, and a a basketball hoop and, and I just played and I I was a really short and skinny kid. And I knew I was going to have to really work hard if I was going to, you know, somehow, you know, be, a, you know, not only a decent basketball player, but hopefully a great basketball player one day. And so um, I, I practiced hard enough to where ninth grade came along, which was freshman. I was a freshman at Brighton High School. I ended up making the, the, the team that year. And uh, we had 18 kids on the team, which meant that I didn't get much playing time. Um, I was probably, I think, second string if, is what they would call it back then. And, 
And so I, I didn't play very much. You know, I got in towards the end of the game or if we were kind of ahead and that kind of frustrated me, but it fueled my desire to practice even harder. And, and that's what I did. And so, but towards the end of my freshman year, uh, it was like the month of May. I, I remember it was right before school was almost over. I got invited with a friend of mine to go on a four-day uh, camping trip up at Bear Lake. And so I ended up going up there with him and his family. And as we pull into the campsite, everyone gets out of the car and my friend holds me back and says, Hey, you know, wait a minute. And I'm like, what's going on? And he said, just wait a minute. And as everyone walked away from the car, he grabbed his backpack and he pulled out of uh, his backpack a quarter ounce of marijuana. And basically it was a sandwich bag full of, of pot. And I had never seen it before. And he's like, I'm like, what is that? And he says, hey, it's, it's pot. And he goes, we're going to smoke this and you're going to love it. And I never, I'll never forget him saying that you're going to love it. And mm-hmm. sure enough, uh, we started smoking and I got high for the first time and I fell in love with it. And that all or nothing mentality kicked in. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to smoke this the rest of my life. That's where, that's where my head went immediately. I just thought. Todd, were you, were you about 14? Yeah, 13, 14 years old. 13, yeah. 14. Wow. Yeah. Um, I do need to take a step back a little bit. I took my first sip of alcohol when I was 11. Um, my dad had a wet bar in the basement, and, um, you know, where he, you know, we had some alcohol in, in there. And um, when my parents weren't around, I, my brother and I would go back there and kind of sneak a few sips. I never got drunk or anything, but, uh, Mm-hmm. That was kind of my first encounter with drugs or alcohol as was about age 11. And from time to time we'd go back there and drink, you know, some stuff. And, but yeah, it was about thir- 13, 14 when I smoked pot for the first time. And from that point forward, I started smoking every single day from that Bear Lake trip. Um, <clears throat> about a week after that Bear Lake trip, I had another friend of mine whose friend's uh, excuse me, whose parents went out of town for the weekend. And they asked me if I would ask a family member to get us some, some alcohol for a party, which, which I did ask. And we ended up getting about 10 cases of beer. And I had, I had never really, like I said, drank to get, you know, never got drunk before. Uh, but, um, so we got 10 cases of beer and my friends and I, you know, we had this party at my friend's house and, I got drunk for the first time and I, I drank so much that night that I actually pa- uh, blacked out and I don't even remember half the night. And the mm. next morning, my friends were, you know, standing around me going, man, I, you know, you were doing this, you were talking to this girl, you were doing some of these crazy things. And it really started to kind of feed my ego. I was like, wow, you know, I can't believe I was doing those things. And, but to hear my friends say these things, I thought, wow, I'm, I'm going to do this every weekend. And so from that short period of time, I decided I'm going to smoke pot every day and I'm going to drink every weekend. And that's exactly what I started doing from that point forward. Um, I'm still practicing basketball. That's my love. From, um, from freshman year to sophomore year, I grew like six to seven inches, uh, which was really good for basketball. Um, 
that's exciting when you're a kid and you, you oh, want to play yeah. basketball. <laughs> oh yeah, man. I thought, wow, I'm getting taller now. This is going to be so good. And, and I practiced so hard that I um, ended up making the starting point guard my sophomore year. Um, and I played JV and I played a little bit of varsity, but not much. But uh, we ended up taking first in state uh, my sophomore year, which was a great experience to be involved with. Um, my junior year, we took second in state. And, um, you know, junior varsity, I led the team in every category. And senior year, we took first in state. And I was voted team captain that year with two other guys and just had a really good run, with some, played with some amazing athletes some of them who went on to obviously play college ball and, and some even in the, in the pro level, which was really cool to see. But uh, so I had a really good run basketball-wise. But uh, going going back, um, you, you know, you get to a point where you get bored just smoking pot and doing, you know, drinking. So I started trying other things. I started mm. back then speed. They called them cross tops was a big thing. I started uh, – popping those and, and snorting those. And I started doing cocaine and, you know, psychedelic mushrooms and cough syrup. And like I said, just anything I could get my hands on, I, I had, to, again, I just, I, and I started getting this reputation as this partier. When my parents would go out of town, I'd throw a kegger at my house. And, and so I just started getting this reputation. And again, it would just feed my ego. And I felt like that's when I mattered most. I had a lot of friends, and and uh, it was just one of those things where I thought this this is how I'm going to live my life. So, does your parent do your parents have any in- inclination at this point of what's going on? At this point, I think they have an idea that I, I'm drinking a little bit, but they didn't know about the other drugs. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, they were always just like, "Don't you know, just don't drink and drive," and and. You know, I just took that as, you know, oh, I got the green light to drink. You know, that's not what they were saying. They were just like, but I took that as, you know, I, I, I can do whatever I want now. And and that's what I did. And so uh, by the time, though, by the time my senior year came around, this is when things really started to change. I noticed this voice in my head, you know, and we all have this voice. Um, it's this negative voice that, you know, tells us that we're not good enough. but for some reason, my senior year, that voice in my head got really loud. I walked around just believing that I wasn't good enough, that life was too hard, that no one liked me. I'm never going to have a girlfriend. I looked funny. I mean, just the list went on and on. And I, I was just really depressed my senior year. And um, my basketball suffered too. I, I wasn't playing as well as I used to. And you know, coaches and family members and friends were even going, what's going on with you? And I'm like, I don't know. And and I didn't put it in. I didn't tie those two together. That it's because I'm partying so hard. At this point, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm addicted, and I, I would drink during the day. I would, we'd go home. I'd go home for lunch and drink at lunchtime, and I would smoke pot, you know, in the bathroom. It was just, you know, again, I didn't tie it in with, you know, that's why I wasn't playing well. But I just felt really depressed. And like I said, we took state my senior year. Um, and then a week after we took state, I got offered a full ride scholarship, uh, and which was amazing. I was like, that was one of my goals to get a college scholarship. And I was so excited. And 
you know, my family was really proud of me. My friends were excited for me and I just felt amazing. And, but that's when the partying got worse. I thought, well, I've got the, my mentality was I've got it in my hand. So now I can kind of relax just a little bit and party harder. And that's what I did. And I, and things got really out of control and I did some really, hor- you know, horrible things. Cause it wasn't just about the, the drinking and the drug abuse. It was the other, you know, the lying, the cheating, the stealing just got mm-hmm. worse. And, uh, I was really in a bad place, you know, mentally and spiritually and, and physically. And, uh, so uh, jumping ahead a little bit, uh, during the summer after graduation, I started practicing with the team that I got the scholarship with. And about two weeks into it, my coach pulled me into his office and said, Hey, what's going on? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, what's going on with you? And as soon as he said that, I'm like, I knew I was in trouble because I wasn't playing well. And I said, no, coach, I know I'm not playing well and I'm going to try harder and I'm going to do better. And he said, you know, Todd, um, this is the big boy leagues and I don't have time to mess around. And there's kids that have walked on that obviously want this more than you. And he goes, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I have, I'm taking away your scholarship. And that was just two weeks in? Yep. Two weeks in wow. because, I mean, and really, I I look back, I don't blame the coach whatsoever because I really was a mess. I hadn't been practicing like I normally was, and it just, again, I was really depressed, and I hit it really well, but I inside I was just, you know, having thoughts of suicide, and it was just a bad time for me. And, but when the coach did this, I was devastated. I thought, man, how am I going to tell my dad? How am I going to tell my friends? How am I going to, you know, I just, it was embarrassing. It was, you know, the list goes on and on. And yeah, devastating. And I, yeah, it was bad. And so after that, I just started, you know, drinking more uh, heavily. I, you know, I became this angry drunk. You know, I'd punch holes in the wall when I was wasted. I'd throw chairs through windows. I was just honestly a, a complete mess. And anyway, so, you know, I I started, you know, I ended up trying out at several other colleges here in Utah and then, you know, a few even outside of the state and I got cut from every single one of them. And I just, you know, ended up finding, I ended up finding myself living in a, uh, down, um, in, um, Southern, um, like Orem and Provo area. I don't know if all your listeners will know know where that is, but it's it's the south of Salt Lake City, <laughs> and uh, I was living with five other guys in this home, and it was just this party house, and we we trashed this house. I mean, we we had this big brick wall. We would throw our beer bottles against, let them shatter. We wouldn't pick it up. Um, it, there was mold in the bathrooms and the showers, and we didn't clean it. it I mean, I wish I really, I wish I had a picture of it, but it was nasty. There was holes in the wall where we were hitting, putting our heads through. And the reason why I'm giving the details of this for your listeners is that this house was an outward manifestation of my inner world, because I'm a true believer that your outer world mirrors your inner world. So if your inner world's in chaos, your outer world's in chaos. And and that's exactly what was going on. And And I was just a complete mess. And I'll never forget, it was a Thursday. And I'm sitting there drinking and, and, you know, I had smoked pot that day. And 
who knows what else, but uh, reality slapped me upside the head and I realized that basketball is over. It's, I mean, it was like this weird, scary reality that I'm no longer going to be playing basketball. It's over. That dream is gone. And that thought was so scary and so devastating that I thought, you know what? You know, and that voice in my head was still going strong. You're pathetic. You're no good. You're never going to make it. And I started thinking about killing myself. And as I sat there, I just planned it out. I knew exactly what I was going to go do. And um, at this time, I have friends who have graduated from college and they're married and they're, they seem like they got, you know, everything figured out. And I'm, I've got hardly any college credit. I was attempting to go to school at Utah Valley Community College. And I just thought, I'm going to kill myself. I'm done. And I was a bartender on the weekends. And I, I was going to go home on Friday, which was the next day. And I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was going to go and end my life. And so Friday comes. And How scary. Yeah. It was a really dark moment for me. I just, I didn't feel like there was any way out. I just thought I'm stuck and I can't stop what I was doing. And I've lost everything that was dear to me. And basketball was like, at the time, it was like losing a best friend. It was, it was brutal. And uh, so I'm driving and as I'm heading to get onto the freeway, um, right next to the freeway was Utah Valley Community College. And my friends and I every day would go meet up in the lunchroom and, and we'd go sit at these big round tables that they had in the lunchroom and we'd just sit and just kind of go socialize and check out girls and you know do things that guys do and and for whatever reason as I'm getting ready to hit the freeway I thought you know what and it had to have been about the time that lunch was starting I decided I was going to go there and sit at the table and it was almost kind of like my last, maybe I was going to do my last goodbyes. I don't know. I just thought, oh, I'll go there first and then I'll go home and end my life. And as, so I pull in to the school and I walk into the lunchroom, I sit down at this table and everyone's sitting there and, and, you know, it's a table where you could fit like 10 to 12 people. It's a big table. And mm. How all my friends are sitting around. I'm sitting there in my own head, just I'm just listening to trying to listen to the conversation, but in my head I'm thinking about here's I'm gonna go kill myself. And next to me on the right side of me were these two uh girls from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints sitting next to me. And these two girls, for whatever reason, Julie, would always come sit at our table. And I don't know why. Like we I used to tease them, I used to make fun of them. Um, I used to tease them about their religion. and But these two girls were like two of the happiest girls I think I've ever seen. They were just, they would come, they would joke with us. They were, I mean, and every time I would make fun of them, they would just, you know, smile, let it roll off their back, and it was no big deal for them. And, and as they're sitting there, and those two girls are talking among themselves. I'm in my head thinking about what I'm going to go do. And I overhear these two girls talking about fasting and prayer. And for some reason, Julie, the word fasting just hit me right between the eyes. I was like, what? I honestly didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? Wow. Yeah. And 
And I, I didn't dare say anything in front of everybody. I thought, well, you know, I, I want to know what that is, but I was afraid to say anything. But those yeah, it doesn't girls, sound like the topic that was usually at your table. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it wasn't the topic at all. And I just thought, what is that? And anyway, those two girls got up and started walking to wherever they were going to go. So I stood up and I followed them because I was going to say something to them. But again, I'm nervous to even say anything. And, and then... I, you know, tapped one of the girls on the shoulder and she turned around and they both turned around and I said, Hey, were you guys just talking about fasting and prayer? And they kind of, you know, look at me and laugh and like, why do you want to know? And I'm like, no, I'm dead serious. Like what? I don't even know what that is, but I'd like to know what that is. And so these girls start to explain to me, you know, like in our religion, we fast once a month and we... Um, we, we start with a prayer and we, we go without food for the day and water. That's what fasting meant. And, and they're explaining this to me and that like we end with a prayer. And as they're explaining this to me in my head, I'm going, this sounds crazy. What's the point of this? <laughs> and I finally asked one of the girls, what's the point? Why do you guys do this? And I'll never forget. They just, she looked me right in the eyes and said, if you want help from God, and boy, that Julie just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was just like, whoa. I'm like, is, and when she said this, I'm thinking, is there a God and would God even help me? So I told told the girls, thank you. And I walked away. And as I walked away, I thought, you know what? I'm going to give this a try. And they were so, your angels. Yes, absolutely. And at the time, I had no clue what road I was going down at this point. And, and so instead of going home and killing myself, I thought, you know what? I'm going to stay down here. I'm going to, I must have called in sick for work because I didn't go to work. And I stayed in this house that I was living in, this big party house. And so the next day comes. So now it's Saturday. And those girls said, start with a prayer. So I ended up finding myself in, I put myself into this little teeny coat closet. And there was coats in there, obviously. And, so I have to actually literally get on my knees because I couldn't stand up in this closet. So I get in this teeny little closet because I didn't want my roommates to see what I was doing. I close the door and I just say this simple little prayer that I've never done before. And I just looked up and just said, God, if you're there, I need help. And that's all I said. And then I, I tried to go the entire day. They said, try to go the entire day without eating or drinking. I think I made it till about noon. Um, I, and, you know, for your listeners who have ever fasted before, you know, sometimes you get a little cranky. Well, <laughs> I, I, it was for the first time since Bear Lake that I didn't smoke pot or pop a pill or drink or do any of that. And I was just, I was actually really in a bad mood. It was just, it was a tough Tough, tough thing I was doing, and I made it till about noon, and then um, I the girls said end with a prayer, so I went back into that same closet, closed the door, was on my knees, and I said, God, I did this fast. If you're there, I need help. That's all I said, and I sat there, being naive. The girls didn't tell me, you know, sometimes your prayers will take a while to get answered. You just never know how it'll happen, and. But I thought, okay, if God's real, he's going to answer my prayer right now. And as I sat there, nothing happened. And I probably waited for two or three minutes, maybe. And 
nothing happened. And I got up and I'll, I'll be honest with you, Julie, I was disappointed. I thought, man, well, that mm-hmm. didn't work. And I unfortunately ended up getting wasted again that evening. And, and I was still having suicidal thoughts. Luckily, this kept me from taking my life, but I was still wrestling with that idea. Um, again, and in many not. ways, your prayers were answered before you even started praying. <laughs> when you, when you heard that, you know, if you want help from God, yeah, that was an answer right there before you even uttered the prayer. You know, you're the first person, Julie, that's ever said that. I've been sharing this story for 30 years, and uh, I've never thought of it that way, actually. Now that you say that, that makes a lot of sense. There it was. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for pointing that out. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. But at the time, I mean, I didn't notice that, obviously. And uh, I just kept partying, kept doing drugs, um, feeling depressed. I wasn't going to school. I was working as a bartender on the weekends. And uh, um, it wasn't until about a month later, uh, I get a phone call from a friend of mine who I played basketball with at Brighton. He was uh, one of those good kids. He uh, was one of the, he was our best basketball player. He was amazing. Um, Good guy. He had since, he went on a mission. Um, He uh, was back. He was married. He was starting his family and just, you know, had his life together, but we hadn't talked since high school. And I get a phone call, random phone call uh, from him about a month after this fast. And he said, Hey Todd, where, where are you at these days? And I said, I'm down here in Orem. And he says, I'm down here too. He goes, I'd love to catch up with you. Would you be willing to come over to my apartment? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I go over there, you know, and I open, you know, I knock on the door, he opens it up. He's got this real serious look on his face. And I thought, wow, is everything okay? And he's like, no, everything's fine. And we sit down on his couch and we just kind of, you know, do weather talk, just kind of catch up a little bit. And and he, uh, um, you know, he, he all of a sudden starts saying all these good things about me. Todd, you're, you know, you're such a good person and you're going to do a lot of good things in your life. And you're going to help a lot of kids and you're going to, you know, be a big influence. And he's saying all these things. And I'm just like, why is he saying this? Hmm. And because I'm, my life's a mess. Is he saying this? I'm just, I started feeling really uncomfortable. So I tell him, Hey, you know, I kind of stop him. I go, I don't know why you're saying these good things, Rich, but my life is a mess right now. And he said, Todd, he goes, I didn't go to work today because I knew I had to stay back to share a message with you. And I'm like, what's going on? And I can tell he's nervous and to think <laughs> to me. And we're just sitting there and and there's kind of this awkward silence here for a minute. And then he takes this deep breath and he looks me in the eye and he said, Todd, he goes, the Lord came to me last night and said, we need you on our side today. And when, wow. he, said, and when he said that, Julie, I, I don't know how to explain. At the time, I didn't know what it was, but I felt this feeling from head to toe, and it was it was an amazing feeling. It was, and the way I describe it now is the love of God. Mm-hmm. I felt this love like I'd never felt before, and it was like, and you know how your mind can rewind back to moments. It went right back to when I was asking God for help in that closet, 
And so I tell Rich, I go, man, I, I, about a month ago, I fasted for help. And Rich points right in my face and said, this is your help. And I thought, wow. And, and it was kind of like, and I'll be honest with you, that, that, that good feeling actually kind of scared me a little bit. It was awkward because I wasn't used to that feeling. And, and you know, we're sitting there and, you know, just I, both kind of, both of us were kind of blown away. And I think I said, well, now what? <laughs> and he uh-huh. said, he said, you need to go talk to your bishop. And, and I said, well, I don't have a bishop. And he says, you do, you just don't know it. And he ends up getting on the phone on the, you know, and spending about 45 minutes tracking down who my bishop might be in my uh, home ward where my parents lived in Willow Creek at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom grew up as a member, but she wasn't active. My dad wasn't a member, and but we never went, like I said, we never went to church or anything like that. So this was all foreign to me. And anyway, long story short, he gets me an appointment with a bishop the next day. And I'm like, why do I need to go see this guy? And he says, you need to tell him everything you've been doing. And I'm like, there's no way I'm telling this guy. And and Rich is one of those guys that will make you commit. He says, you got to promise me you're going to show up tomorrow. And I said, okay. I said, I'll show up. So the next day I pull into this church parking lot and I see this car. There's one car in this parking lot. I thought there's that guy's car. My, I'm, my heart's pounding. I'm like, and I literally turn back around. I'm like, I can't do this. And then I remember Rich saying, you better promise me you show up. And I thought, well, I, I'll t- I can tell him I made it to the parking lot. <laughs> um, so I decided, okay, I'll go in there. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be in there for five minutes. I'll listen to what this guy has to say. And then I'm out of there. So I walk into this guy's office. My heart's pounding. I'm nervous. His name was Bishop Taylor and we, we sit down and he just looks at me and goes, tell me what's going on. And he doesn't say another word. <laughs> mm. I'm like, oh boy. So I tell, I start telling him a little bit about what happened with Rich and I, and again, I'm nervous. I'm scared. Well, all of a sudden I just start telling him everything. I just unload on this guy and I just open up. And I end up spending about three hours in this guy's office. And I tell him everything. Um, not just about the drug abuse and the drinking, but the lying, the cheating, the stealing. And I'm sitting there thinking, this guy's going to throw me out of his office. He's got to be thinking, who the, you know, what is this guy doing, right? And uh-huh. he just looks me in the eye after when we get done. He goes, well, all right, I got four things I want you to do. And I'm like, okay, what's that? And he goes, he goes, do you think you can say one prayer a day like you did when you're in that closet? Can you just say one simple prayer a day? And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I can do that. And then he hands me a set of scriptures that, I, and he goes, have you ever read these before? And I said, nope, never read them. And he goes, I want you to read one verse a day. And honestly, Julie, I didn't even know what a verse was. I'm like, he had to point out this is a verse. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. So I, I said, I, yeah, I think I can probably do that. He goes, I don't even care if you understand it. Just start reading. I'm like, okay. I have learned there's a lot of power in that, even when you don't understand. Yeah, for sure. And and then he said, um, I need you to be honest with me. And I said, well, I just told you everything. I'm pretty sure I can do that. But what, what do you mean? He goes, 
If you if you use, if you drink, if you lie, if you cheat, if you steal, if you manipulate, just be honest with me when 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 we meet again. And I said, well, I I I'm pretty sure I can do that. And then he says, I want to meet with you though, Todd. This is the fourth thing. I want to meet with you every once a week for a year. I'm like, there's no way I can do that. <laughs> and he says, we're going to take it a week at a time. And he goes, I want to meet with you once a week. And and I'll tell you, Julie, I didn't realize it at the time, but this guy became my rehab. He, because back then there wasn't rehabs on every street corner like there is today. And uh-huh. I started meeting with this guy every week. And every week, I, I'm just honest with him, like he said. And he taught me a really powerful lesson on how amazing honesty is. And I teach this to my clients to this very day, Julie. And here's what I tell my clients, and it's a very bold promise that if they if they're honest with themselves, they'll never relapse. Because we have to lie to go back to using, and and so that's what uh, Bishop Taylor taught me is that if I'm honest, um, I, I will eventually get to the point where I'll never relapse. And so, so I'm honest with him, but I was lying to myself. So I would sit down with him every week and say, yep, I, I drank every day. I smoked pot. I popped a pill. I snorted Coke. And, and But when I would leave his office throughout the week, I'd lie to myself all week long. And that was part of the problem. Um, that voice you my- lied to yourself, tell me what that what that means. If you're telling him the truth, what does it mean that you lied to yourself? Yeah. So I'm telling him everything I'm doing. So I'm being open with him and honest, but where I was lying to myself was that, um, I was listening to that voice in my head that I was broken. I was damaged. I was no good. I couldn't Mm -hmm. do it. Those were all lies. I was lying to my family and friends. Um, I, you know, you know, I would justify, I call those thinking errors, I would justify using again or drinking again when I knew in my heart it was wrong. And so that's a lie in itself. And so that's what kept me, you know, wrapped up in this relapse mode. I just kept going back and forth, back and forth, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, and so it it takes about eight and a half months before I can look this guy in the eye and tell him I made it three days clean this week. And um, that voice in my head that was telling me that I was pathetic, no good. I was still wrestling with this. And I just thought, I can't do this. Um, I was still struggling. Um, at, at the same time, I'm still a bartender, which is not good if you're an alcoholic. Right. Um, that makes it really hard. It makes it really hard. But at the time, before I met with Rich, I thought, well, this is great. I get free booze and I can drink all I want. And anyway, um, but as a bartender, I'd get tips from the waiters and waitresses and then anyone that would sit at the bar I'd get tips from them and I'd get a lot of change from them and I'd keep this change in the cup holders of my car quarters nickels and dimes and I had about $40 worth of uh quarters nickels and dimes in my cup holders in my car about this eight and a half month mark when I had made it 3 days clean and I'm still struggling and well I just happened to, it was a Saturday and I'm driving down this big windy road in Willow Creek called uh, Newcastle. And as I'm driving down this road, um, out of the corner of my eye, I see this little girl selling lemonade. No big deal. I just drive right on past. And as I drive past it, I have this impression or this voice in my head. It was a different voice. 
And it was, the voice said, turn around and give her all the money in your car. And I thought, wow. <clears throat> Again, I had about $40 worth of quarters, nickels, and dimes. And I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. So I flipped my car around. I pull up, roll down my window, and I ask this cute little girl. She's, um, you know, I can tell she's in elementary school. And I said, how much? And she said, 25 cents. And I said, I'll take one. So she pours me a cup. Hands it to me. I set it on my dashboard, and I tell her to cup her hands together and hold them out. And I just start scooping all this money into her hands, and she's freaking out. She's like, "No way!" I'm like, "Hold on, I got more." And it takes me like eight or nine scoops to get all this money into her, and and she's like, just like literally screaming, like, "No way! Thank you so much!" I'm like, "I got more," <laughs> and. She takes the last pile in her hands and she throws it onto the ta- her little lemonade table there and runs into the house. And I thought, she's going to go tell her parents some dude just gave her a million dollars. you know. <laughs> and, and as I pull away, Julie, I, I start to cry like I've never cried before in my entire life. I have to pull my car over because I'm cry- crying so hard. I pull- put it in park and I don't know if you've ever cried so hard, you know, like you feel like you're cleansing your soul. Mm-hmm. This was one of those soul cleansing cries. I just sobbed. And in that moment, Julie, I felt like I mattered. I wanted to be clean. Um, I, I felt like I loved who I was in that moment. And this lit my soul on fire. Um, one of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Ferdinand Foch. He's a uh, military Frenchman, uh, and I actually have it on my office wall to this day, and it says, the most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. And mm. this is exactly what happened. And, and that all-or-nothing mentality kicked in again. And I said to myself, if that girl's there next Saturday, I'm giving her all my money. And so the next Saturday comes, and on purpose, I drive by that same spot, and sure enough, there's that little girl out there selling lemonade and I pull up and she recognizes me and she just starts beaming and her, she's just like, Oh no, you know, like jackpot. Here's the guy again. And I give her like $15 in ones. Um, the next Saturday I give her $20 in quarters. The next Saturday I give her $10 in quarters. I mean, this goes on. And I do this every Saturday for the next two and a half months. And every time I pull up, she just just starts to beam. And and every time I pull away, Julie, I start to cry again. Mm-hmm. And in those moments, I felt like I mattered, that I was worth it, that I could be clean, and that I loved who I was. And it was just one of the most powerful feelings and highs that I've ever experienced. I mean, no drug gave me what I was feeling at the t- at this point. And uh well, about this eight and a half, after about this two and a half months, I decided I'm going to go to church. And what's funny is this Bishop Taylor never told me to go to church. And I think he knew I would have said no. I, he just had me do those four things. And I was doing pretty good on those four things, especially meeting with him. Not so good on the honesty piece or the reading or praying, but I was still meeting with him. Like I said, he became my rehab Mm-hmm. And, and at the time, my mentor, and uh, well, and you'd I, been meeting with him for about ten months at this point, right? 
Yeah, this is about 10th. And by the way, I ended up meeting with him every week for about a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is about 10 months, 10 and a half months into it. And I decided to go to church and I'm, I'm going by myself. I, I'm scared to death. I go sit in the very back corner and I'm just going, oh my gosh, why am I here? I don't want to be here. And, you know, as I'm looking around, I'm seeing who's sitting in the, in, uh, in the chapel. And on the other side of the chapel, there's that little lemonade girl with her mom. <laughs> and she sees me. And she starts like, you know, double hand waving to over towards me. And she, she's telling her mom, there's the guy. He's over there. There he is. And I wave back and I'm like, my heart's pounding. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm nervous. And so I ended up staying. And when church was over, when sacrament was over, they come walking over towards me. And the mom's got tears in her eyes. And she gives me this big, tight hug. And she's up there in my ear. And she says, thank you so much for what you've done for my daughter. And I said, oh, no, you you have no idea what this has done for me. And she goes, no, my daughter was saving for a trampoline. You gave, you put her over the top. She got her trampoline. And she just thinks you're like the greatest person in the world. I'm like, oh, again, you have no idea. This has been my blessing. And, and then the mom says, well, we have a favor to ask you. And I'm like, what's that? And they said, well, on Wednesday, there's a daddy-daughter date. And she would really love to have you take her as her date. I'm thinking, what? And I'm like, I'm like, well, what about her dad? And she says, well, we were, you know, um, I'm divorced from her dad and he's not a part of her life anymore. And she would really love you to go. And I, you know, and I'm like, so I say yes. And because this little girl, her name's Lindy. She's just staring at me, smiling. I'm like, how can I say no? But as I walk away, I'm going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I said yes. I'm like, I, I don't want to do this. You know, I was nervous. I'm like, so anyway, in uh, this part of the story is where everything comes together. So I pick this little girl up on Wednesday. I'm scared to death. My heart's pounding. It's like one of those awkward first dates, you know. It's like I don't even know what to say to this girl. I don't even know her. And so we drive up. We drive up to Big Cottonwood Canyon, and it's a picnic site up there. And as we pull up there, all the dads are up there with their daughters. I don't know any dad. I don't know anyone. I don't even know her. And I'm sitting there going, why did I agree to this? Oh my, and my heart's pounding. I don't want to be there. I'm feeling awkward. And they start playing games, right? Like, uh, And one of the games was, how well do you know your daughter? How well do you know your dad? You know, like favorite color, favorite food, favorite movie. And I'm like, oh, and I look at Lindy and I'm like, I'm sorry, we won't to do this one. And Lindy says, let's just guess. I kid you not. She says this. And had I not been there, Julie, I wouldn't have believed it. We almost get every answer correct. We were like high-fiving each other. Everyone's looking at us. They know she's not, you know, they're probably thinking we're cheating. I don't know. Um, <laughs> And I'm sitting there going, man, this is so surreal. Here I am sitting here with this pure, innocent girl. Um, we're, I'm with all these good people. See, I'm used to I'm used to waking up hungover and drunk, passed out, sometimes a throw up all over me, doing some of the most horrific things. And I'm sitting here with this pure, innocent girl, and we're going to have hot dogs and Kool-Aid. And I'm mm -hmm. just, this is just weird, right? Well, they gather, every, they gather everyone in. What's that, Julie? 
still living in that house that where the glass and the oh yeah right absolutely yeah and and again so they gather everyone in to say a blessing on the food again which I thought was weird because you know I wasn't I didn't know what that even really was why are you blessing the food is there something wrong with the hot dogs you know and <laughs> and uh, so we so they this guy just starts saying this simple little prayer on the food and during this prayer. Um, I hear, I hear this voice in my head saying, Todd, you're in the right place. You've made an impact on this girl's life that she'll never forget. And, you know, and then I love you. And I kid you not, it was that same feeling when Rich told me, here's the, here's your answer. Here's your help. And I just start crying in this prayer. I mean, I feel this love like I've never felt before in my life. It's so powerful. And I just start bawling. And the prayer gets over and I'm over there sobbing and everyone's looking at me like, dude, are you okay? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, no, I, I'm okay. These are, these are happy tears. And, and it was in that moment, Julie, that I said to myself, I will never, ever do drugs again. I will never drink again. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, I'll tell you, I knew it. I knew it for a fact that I will never go down that road ever again. And so from that point forward, Julie, um, I, I said to myself, not only do I want to never use drugs again, but I'm going to help people. I'm going to help kids like Lindy for the rest of my life. And so from that day forward, um, I've been clean now 30 years. Um, and, uh, I I started doing a drug uh, free program. Uh, it was a education program for elementary kids that uh, was again inspiration from God. And I went around to all the schools for the next five years, all the elementary schools in the state of Utah. I spoke to over two hundred fifty thousand kids and uh, sharing my story, helping them believe in themselves. And it goes back to when Rich says you're going to help so many kids, and it was like. Here it is being fulfilled. And um, and I, I want to point this out. Like I would have parents come up to me and say, oh, my kid loves your program. And they would say, would you work with them one-on-one? And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I had not a clue what I was doing. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so I started meeting with kids one-on-one. And now I've been counseling and life coaching since that point. And I've done over 16,000 sessions since then. And um, I've been doing motivational speaking all over the state of Utah and even in obviously in other states and even out of the country now. Um, my story's been shared, the hope of God's light. I mean, I think it's just, it just made over 5 million views in three different languages all over the world. I just, I pinch myself, Julie, going, I cannot believe where that that simple little act of giving my money to this little girl at a lemonade stand where that would, what that has opened up and led to. And and it's amazing how good God's been to me. And, and so, you know, that's, I'm just grateful to be where I'm at right now. I, I love your story. There's so much hope in your story. Yeah. So much hope. And that is uh, people need hope and, when you share where you were and where you 
went from there, that just gives so much yeah. hope, so much hope because you, you had lost everything. You, you had lost a will to live. Yeah. And, and I, and I just, I'm amazed at God's timing too. Yeah. Because when you consider like if that little girl, if you, you'd seen that lemonade stand 10 months before oh, and you'd yeah. give her a change, it wouldn't have had the same impact. It's like everything fell in place the way it needed to. And you chose you chose to accept the help that came. Absolutely. You chose yeah. to listen when you heard those words about fasting and prayer and act on it. And yeah. then you chose to listen to Rich and act on it. And you chose to listen to the bishop and act on it. And you you chose to you could have said no to even taking that that little girl yeah. on that daddy daughter picnic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I kept wondering, why did I say yes? <laughs> um, I bet you did. <laughs> well, you're right, Julie. The timing of everything and just how it all kind of fit together. And, um, you know, it was, it was one of those transformational moments, every one of them in time. And and it's it truly is amazing. And, and like how it even led to what I get to do today, it just blows my mind. I mean, it truly is amazing. And I think it's so important that we believe in transformation. So many of our listeners have gone through hard, hard things, like really, really hard things. And it's easy to feel like this is going to be my life for the rest of my life. Like things are not going to get better and things can get better. When we choose in, things can get better. And I love what you say. I I say it a lot myself is, you know, life happens for you. Yeah. Yeah. As hard hard as it is when you're going through it. And, you know, one thing I tell my clients about that, Julie, is that if I could go back to my addiction, if I could go back to it and actually talk to it and have a conversation with my addiction and Everything that I went through, the loss of scholarship, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, manipulating, the the thoughts of suicide, depression, everything. If I could go back to it and talk to it right now, I would say thank you. And, mm. and the reason why is because I'm sitting here talking to you, Julie, right now. And if I knew what I was going through, that one day I'd be talking to Julie Clough on a podcast I would do it all over again. I mean, I, I really would. I would not change a thing. Um, at the time when you're going through it, you don't think that way. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Julie, I know what you know what you've been through in your life, and uh, you're you're truly an inspiration to me. And I see what you do and what you're trying to do with your life now. And had you not gone through what you went through, we probably wouldn't be talking either together today. And I just I don't know. It's just amazing how it all comes together. Yeah, I like to say my mission found me and I said yes. And I, I feel like you can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a good way to look at it for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I I love your story. I when I found out you had a book coming out, I pre-ordered, I read it in a day. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just I, I love your story. It's so inspiring. It's 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 so beautiful and to if we if we just choose in 
when the opportunities present themselves to choose in to, to recovery, to healing, to, you know, if we can just believe that transformation is possible, if we can just believe that there's better uh, days ahead, that makes such a difference. You know, it was, it was those little pieces of hope that you received along the way. Yeah brought you down the path absolutely yeah it truly is amazing how that all so works tell, us, tell tell everybody where they can find you tell them about your podcast your yeah. book all the things yeah sure thank you um so i have a website it's todd sylvester inspires.com i know it's kind of long but uh, someone had taken my name already <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah todd sylvester uh, inspires.com and uh, I also have a podcast. I, I actually call it a belief cast. Um, and so you can look me up on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or Spotify. Or um, you, I, mean, uh, I load it up to you. I have a YouTube channel as well. And my social feed is uh, at TS Inspires. Uh, you can you know you can hit me up on Instagram or Facebook. And uh, so yeah, and. My email is Todd at ToddSylvesterInspires.com. You can send me an email. And then I've been fortunate to write a couple books. Uh, my first book was It's Time to Start Living. And then the second book was I Am Recovered. And you can get both of those on uh, Amazon.com. And uh, So, yeah, if you want to reach out to me, I'd love to talk to any of you and answer any questions. And, and uh, I'm just grateful that. Uh, you had me on, Julie. I was grateful for the opportunity, for sure. Yeah. And I love the way you say that. I, I love the title of that, the, your book, I Am Recovered. Yeah. So often we people will refer to themselves as a recovering yep. addict. Yep. But that just is just such an identity to... Uh, you know, identity is important as you learn through all of this and yeah. these these voices that you're. There's so many lessons in your story. I could go on for an yeah. hour, but <laughs> I <laughs> and I love it. So thank you, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story with us, Todd. No, you bet. You thanks so much, Julie. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I, I wish you all the best with what you're doing. And and uh, I'm I'm grateful to be able to rub shoulders and that we know each other. Thanks, Todd. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed visiting with Todd, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can find his his detailed bio in the show notes with his website link and his social media information. But just to tell you again, his website is toddsylvesterinspires.com and his social media handle is tsinspires. Now, one of the things that Todd and I talked about after the interview was over, which you don't hear in the interview itself, is why is it that some people have a miracle that happens that saves their life and others don't? And if you're listening to this, you may be like me. You may have lost someone to suicide and you wonder why, especially when you hear miraculous stories like Todd's. And as Todd and I talked about that afterwards, you know, there's no easy answer, but it's, it's a hard question. And I don't know why 
except that I will tell you, I fully believe that God has us all in his hands and every experience, every experience that we have works together for our good, even for those who die of suicide. That's my personal belief. And I hope that is helpful to you. I love Todd's story of recovery and how he overcame the difficulties that he experienced. And I think once again, it's a story of hope for all of us, wherever we find ourselves in our healing journey, that healing is possible and there is a good life ahead. Remember, the book is available for pre-order on Amazon and it will be shipped July 14th. That's when the book comes out. So be sure and get your copy. Schedule your free discovery call too. If you haven't, if we haven't already talked, let's talk. I, this is the work that I do is I help people navigate the pain of their losses so that they can, so that they can rebuild their life in a way that's meaningful and helpful and beautiful. If this episode has been helpful to you, will you please subscribe, rate, and review? I'd really appreciate it. You guys have a beautiful week. Remember, I believe in you. Love you. Bye.